Hello and welcome to a new season of Additive Stack, the podcast dedicated, created, and streamed to support you on your additive manufacturing journey. We've got all the inspiring personalities, stimulating education, and compelling discussions on cutting-edge technologies. I'm your host, Fabian Allefeld, a member of the award-winning consulting, engineering, and education team named Additive Minds, here at EOS in North America. We at Additive Snack have set the stage for some truly amazing discussions and are thrilled to have you join us for episode one of our three-part mini-series, The Future of Energy, Powered by Additive Manufacturing. In our mini-series couldn't come at a more interesting time. Global warming is dramatically altering the world around us. And while the population of the world continues to increase, so too does the demand and consumption of global energy. So we're talking about energy, the engine that is literally driving humanity forward. And for the majority of the past 300,000 years, energy from the sun met all of humanity's energy needs. Plants converted energy through the process of photosynthesis into biomass. And people burned this biomass through their bodies, calories, or as firewood for heat and light. It was that simple. But all that changed starting with the agricultural and industrial revolutions. With inventions such as water mills, the steam engine, humans had found other ways to turn various sources of energy into productivity. And ever since, energy consumption and production has been increasing at a breathtaking pace. According to BP, today's annual global energy consumption is estimated to 580 exajoules. That's 580 million trillion joules, or about 13,865 million tons of oil equivalents. And it doesn't stop there. Our need for energy is continuously increasing. By 2050, primary consumption could rise to slightly over 1,000 exajoules if it continues growing at the same rate. That's a total increase of 75% compared to 2019. But another revolutionary technology is additive manufacturing, also called AM, which emerged in the late 1980s. As many of you know, additive manufacturing is a layer-by-layer process that can produce high-performing metal and polymer parts. And so, AM has revolutionized many industries for the past 10 years already, from medical to aviation, space, all the way to energy. And while there is no singular solution to the complex problems of increasing energy demand and climate change, additive manufacturing is helping companies in every sector of the energy industry to address them. The opportunities and applications for AM in the energy sector are endless, and innovation never ceases with the guests I'm about to introduce to you. Within this mini-series, we're joined by Quan Luck, Vice President, Additive Manufacturing at Siemens Energy, by Pierre Faure, Head of Additive Manufacturing at the gas company Linde, Jeremy Heitz, the Principal Engineer and Lead Specialist for Additive Manufacturing and Advanced Concepts at wind energy company Vestas. We'll be joined by Stefan McLelland, who is a senior mechanical engineer at carbon capture and utilization company ReCarbon. And last but not least, we've got the fusion energy company TAE, with Jim McNeil, the chief marketing officer, and senior mechanical and project engineer Vincent Pillard. The fascinating world of energy and additive manufacturing will truly get you inspired. So let's jump in and jointly investigate how these technologies work, what attributes they bring to provide energy for current and future generations, and the contribution of additive manufacturing to help us transition towards a carbon-free future by 2050. So I mentioned that in the first episode of the Future of Energy series, we'll talk about the pillar and bridge of current energy, natural gas and hydrogen. Without a doubt, 
gas has been a pillar of global energy production for more than a century. And naturally occurring gas has been known since ancient times. In about 1000 BC, the famous oracle at Delphi on Mount Parnassus in ancient Greece was built where natural gas seeped from the ground in the flame. And around 500 BC, the Chinese started using crude bamboo pipelines to transport gas that seeped from the surface and to use it to boil seawater to get drinkable water. The first commercialized natural gas occurred in Britain. Around 1785, the British used natural gas produced from coal to light houses and streets. Interestingly, in the United States, the properties of natural gas were first discovered by Native Americans who would ignite the gases that seeped into and around Lake Erie. But during most of the 19th century, natural gas was almost exclusively used as a source of light. But in 1885, Robert Bunsen's invention of what is now known as the Bunsen burner opened vast new opportunities to use natural gas. And once effective pipelines began to be built in the 20th century, the use of natural gas expanded to home heating and cooking, appliances such as water heaters and oven ranges, manufacturing and processing plants, and boilers to generate electricity. Since then, a lot has happened, and today, the major source for electricity generation in the U.S. is natural gas, shelled by coal, renewables, and nuclear fission. But globally, coal still accounts for almost 37% followed by natural gas. And in the light of global warming and a war in the Ukraine that is shaking the energy reliability in Europe, one of the key questions of this century remains, how do we transition humanity into carbon-free energy? And this question cannot be answered without looking at current technologies and how they can bridge technologies into that future. One company that is focused on that energy transition is Siemens Energy. And Siemens understands the role additive manufacturing must play. Recently, the president of Siemens Energy North America announced their support to the recent initiative announced by President Biden called AM Forward. But AM is not a new technology to Siemens. It has already become a core technology. And here to help us understand the impacts of additive manufacturing on the technology that provides most households with energy is Quan Lak, Vice President of Additive Manufacturing at Siemens Energy. Hey Quan, it's great to have you on Additive Snack. Thanks for taking the time today to speak with us. Fabian, it's a pleasure to be here. We're really looking forward to the conversation. Cool. So, so Quan, let's, let's jump right in and talk about Siemens Energy. Tell us a little bit more about what you guys do and also what your role exactly is at Siemens Energy. Okay, sure. So, um, I suppose, first of all, it's important not to confuse Siemens and Siemens Energy. Um, we were once part of the same family and we still share the same famous uh, name, but we're two independent companies. So, in 2020, Siemens Energy was spun out of Siemens uh, as a standalone pure play energy company that's independently listed on the German Stock Exchange. Um, so, we are now a 90,000 person company. Uh, we've got a backlog, order backlog of about 90 billion uh, euros. So on spinning out the company, we've immediately become one of the largest energy companies out in the world today. Um, the purpose of the business is a clear statement. It's to energize society. And we aim to do that by supporting our customers through the energy transition into uh, a more sustainable energy future. Um, and actually, we've recently announced that we are going to restructure our business, which will go live in October of this year, to better position ourselves to support this energy transition. 
So there will be three distinct business areas. Uh, the first one is gas services. This will be the home of our core gas turbine technology that will be serving the power generation and industrial applications markets. The second area is our grid technology business. And this area will be focusing on uh, transmission solutions for energy and also storage solutions for energy as well. And then the third business area will be the transformation of industries, which is all about the innovative products and solutions that will really enable the future energy systems of tomorrow. Um, outside of that, Siemens Energy is also the majority shareholder for Siemens Gamesa, the wind turbine business. Uh, and we recently announced that we intend to acquire 100% of that business into the future as well. So uh, additive, where does additive fit in all of this? Uh, additive today sits in the gas services area of the business. Uh, and the main focus there is on the gas turbine uh, technology and improving performance of the gas turbine. Um, I head up the additive business, which today is about a 200, just over 200 people strong organization dedicated to nothing but additive manufacturing. Uh, we operate like a small business and we have all of the functions under that business to really drive additive into the Siemens Energy product lines, everything ranging from R&D technology to business development sales to design and product implementation and all of the operational sites as well. Um, our focus is mainly on laser powered bed fusion uh, and we're one of the probably we have one of the biggest fleets of metal machines out in the world today. Uh, about 50 machines, mainly EOS machines, that are distributed across our two main production sites of uh, Finsborn, Sweden and Worcester, UK. Uh, we also have a small application center here in Orlando, US, and then R&D centers in Germany, uh, Berlin, and in Charlotte, US as well. Yeah, you guys are for sure one of the most incredible users of additive manufacturing. And you mentioned 200 full-time employees to do nothing but additive manufacturing, which definitely makes you one of the, the most advanced users in the industry when it comes to additive manufacturing, which is also why, of course, we invited you here today. But before we talk about additive manufacturing at Siemens Energy, I think it's important to talk a bit more about the overall organization Siemens Energy and I think it's a quite unique and powerful mission statement that you that you just mentioned to energize society uh, through mm -hmm. the whole workforce of 90,000 people that work at Siemens Energy. What keeps 90,000 people up at night? What are you guys thinking about? <laughs> what are your current challenges? Yeah, I suppose when you think about that, that purpose statement of energizing society and helping customers through the energy transition, um, really there isn't a bigger challenge in the world today. So that yeah. definitely keeps us up at night. So there's a number of things that keeps us busy. Um, if you think about energizing society, let's start there. There's nearly 800 million people today who don't have access to electricity. Yeah? And we know that electricity is kind of the backbone of economic development. Um, so in, we expect these developing areas of the world in the future to be really driving the energy demand. Uh, and we're predicting that energy consumption is going to double by 2050. So all of this rising energy demand is happening at a time clearly when uh, the speed of climate change is necessitating that we all move really quickly towards achieving our 
common climate goals of uh, net neutrality on carbon. Um, and so when you take those two factors, how you balance continuing to provide energy that is growing and the demand for energy is growing the way it is and lifting big sections of society out of energy poverty at the mm -hmm. same time aggressively transitioning towards energy systems of the future those are the problems that keep us up at night but uh, you know as you said if you think about the heritage of siemens energy and that the the global reach of siemens energy uh, we believe that you know there isn't a better company out there positioned to lead us through the energy transition. I mean, just one fun fact for you today, one sixth of the world's electricity is actually produced on energy and Siemens energy products today. So just gives you a sense of the, uh, the global scale of the business. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a very big impact that you guys have, but also that comes with a very big challenge, uh, as, as you mentioned, and that seems like a very, a challenging situation to be in to to balance these these two very important impact factors for for the current and future future societies how are the siemens energy products and services as well positioned to help with that challenge yeah let me focus a bit on the gas turbine side of things first that's where we're uh, focused on most of our additive efforts so um the main gas turbines are going to continue for a long time to Uh, be a core technology that's going to provide energy stability and energy availability to complement uh, renewable energies as the growing share of that increases into the future. Um, what we can do immediately to support decarbonization is to continue to innovate our gas turbines to be more efficient and to produce less emissions. Um, and so Uh, when we focus on things like uh, efficiency, small gains in efficiency on a gas turbine, when it operates for 30 to 40 years, can lead to significant savings in fuel consumption over the operating life of a gas turbine. So those are the things that we can do today to improve uh, our technology. But outside of just improving the installation of new gas turbine power plants, We can also look at the existing energy infrastructure and modernize that too. Yeah. So, for example, replacing coal plants with gas plants will immediately have the impact of reducing carbon emissions. Uh, we, there's also a large installed fleet of gas turbines out there today, and we can replace old gas turbines with the latest technology, more efficient gas turbines. And we can also even replace core components in the uh, critical operating units of the turbine or the combustor and actually improve life and performance of the gas turbine doing that also. Um, and then as more sustainable fuels become available, our gas turbines are also designed to uh, for fuel flexibility. They can operate with natural gas and with hydrogen. And in the future, they can even opposite, operate with 100% hydrogen as well. Uh, so you can see that the gas turbine product line will remain a really important bridge out into the future for uh, Siemens Energy and has really enabled that movement into the uh, systems of the future in a kind of a steady step-by-step -step way. Yeah, sounds like gas turbines will be a bridge technology, but also a future technology to provide, as you said, Absolutely. Um, energy to, uh, to vast numbers of societies and countries that possibly even today uh, 
don't have gas turbine uh, uh, plants or uh, want to exchange uh, existing technology with with your technology. And I do know that additive manufacturing does play uh, a quite important role when it comes to a modernizing existing equipment, uh, but also making new equipment more uh, more efficient. But before we talk about the additive yep, manufacturing absolutely. impact, how can you explain to us how a gas turbine on a high level works so that we can then dive deeper into the impact of additive? Absolutely. <clears throat> so uh, let's start just briefly by talking you through the uh, the product portfolio we have. Yeah. So today we uh, have products that range from four megawatt all the way through to 400, uh, sorry, 400, 600 megawatt, yeah? So our smallest gas turbine is about 35 ton and 30 foot long. And our largest gas turbine, our latest 9000 HL, is over 400 ton and over 40 foot long. So it's a monster of a gas turbine. It's the most uh, uh, powerful gas turbine on the market today. Um, but regardless of uh, the size of the gas turbine, the operating principles remain the same, yeah? There's three main sections to a gas turbine there is the uh the compressor section there's the combustor section and then there is the turbine section so the compressor section is made up of uh, a number of rows of compressor blades and these blades serve the purpose of drawing air into the engine and compressing the air so as the air compresses the temperature and the pressure increases so now this highly energized air is introduced into the combustor section where through fuel nozzles, we'll now introduce fuel, natural gas, uh, for example. And uh, this is then mixed with the compressed air uh, in, to optimize the fuel-air mix uh, through combustion, combustion swirlers. Uh, and this will then be sent through to the burner section of the combustor uh, and ignited. And here, when it's ignited, it creates a very strong chemical reaction uh, that results in hot expanding exhaust gases up to 2,000 and beyond degrees Fahrenheit, yeah? Uh, so very similar to the combustion reaction you'd expect to see in your car, uh, but just at significantly higher horsepower, maybe 600,000 horsepower, yeah? So these rapidly expanding exhaust gases will then be directed through uh, transition ducts into the turbine section, uh, where they'll first... Uh, go through a set of uh, inlet turbine guide vanes, and that will guide the exhaust gases onto the uh, turbine blades. And here, all of that chemical energy is now converted to mechanical energy as it forces the turbine blades to rotate up to 3,000 RPM, uh, and that in turn drives a drive shaft. And that drive shaft then serves two purposes. One, to drive the compressor end of the gas turbine, by drawing more air into the engine. And secondly, you can then connect a generator to the drive shaft, uh, and that will then convert all of that mechanical energy and convert it into electricity. electricity. Two minutes and the whole concept of a gas turbine explained. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure if anybody can beat that, but yeah, I mean, it sounds so simple when you say, but it's a highly complex system. You have highly, um, or high temperatures, high pressures, high road, rotating forces. Um, and as you mentioned, these things run for 30 to 40 years. So there's a lot of challenges in when it comes to engineering and developing and running and maintaining these, these types of gas turbines. How does additive manufacturing contribute to the development of 
of currents and and restoring current uh, machinery, but also developing the next generation of gas turbines. Yeah, so um, we said we said that the main focus for gas turbines is about um, getting them more efficient and producing less emissions. Um, if you think, then the main function of efficiency is the firing temperature. So the higher the firing temperature, the more efficient that the gas turbine is. Yeah, but we mentioned earlier that you know some of the gases running through the engine are operating at over 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit. So well in excess of some of the materials that are used, yeah? So in order to continue to push the firing temperature, to continue to push efficiency, we need to have very innovative coating solutions and also some very innovative, innovative cooling solutions as well. And here's where additive really enters into the, uh, into the scene because it, through its design flexibility, it allows us to really work with some very uh, creative cooling solutions uh, that allow us then to uh, operate the gas turbines at much higher firing temperatures and allow us to pr produce better optimized fuel mixing as well within the combustion. So when you look then at how we've been using uh, additive in Siemens Energy, we've been doing it for well over a decade. Uh, we first entered into additive back in 2008 in our facility in Sweden. Uh, and the entry point there was in the combustion section. Uh, by 2012, we came with our first application, which was the famous uh, burner repair uh, topic that we, uh, we've publicized in the past. So the conventional process here is to cut the tip off the burner and then to take a prefabricated uh, burner tip and weld it onto the top of the burner. So quite an involved, lengthy process. What our team in Sweden managed to do was they took the tip off the burner and then uh, put it into a modified M280 machine, and they were able to build up a net shape tip on top of that burner directly. And that part now has been in production for, uh, for many years. Uh, and in addition to that, the team in Sweden also figured out how they would combine uh, 13 parts of the complete burner assembly into one single monolithic additive part. Uh, with all of the upgrades and performance upgrades designed into that. So that's one great example of how uh, Additive has supported us in the combustor section. Uh, but the combustor section in general has been a really rich source of applications for us. So I think I mentioned earlier, we've got now burners that are additively manufactured. We've, we've also got nozzle parts that are additively manufactured, combustion swirlers that are additively manufactured, and also transition ducts. So it's been a really rich source, as I say, of additive manufacturing. Um, if we look into the other focal area, which is the turbine section, uh, I suppose a good example there of where additive manufacturing plays a part is a recent uh, modular upgrade that we did on a 25-year-old gas power plant in Germany. So here we took the turbine inlet vane, uh, and we it's a 30-year-old design, reverse engineered it, redesigned it with a uh, fairly cool additively designed in-wall cooling and that enabled 25 percent reduction in cooling air which immediately gives us benefits on emissions and efficiency as well yeah so a uh, great uh, example of uh, you know how additive manufacture can restore old gas turbines uh, and give them extra performance and longer life as well and those parts have been in operation now for over a year. Uh, and at the last inspection, they still look pretty good. So uh, some, some 
applications there that kind of give you a feel for what we're doing in Siemens Energy. Um, by the end of 2022, we expect to have 200 parts that are fully qualified uh, and ready for commercial release. Uh, and then with a target then by 2025 to have 600 parts that are fully qualified for commercial release. Um, and the parts that are in qualification today and released in uh, service, they've actually accumulated over 1.5 million of engine operating hours. So we have really accomplished um, real functional parts in service today, which gives us a great baseline for what additive can do for Siemens Energy. Uh, and so we can probably truly say we're at that point of no return now when it comes to additive in Siemens Energy. There's still work to be done in terms of cost, in terms of reliability of additive manufacturing. Uh, but overall, yeah, uh, we're, we're past the, uh, the tipping point, as we like to say. Such an incredible story from in the end of supply chain or lead time application of your of your burner re repair tips, where if I'm not mistaken, you reduced lead time um, by by more than more than seventy percent. I forgot the exact number. Yep. Um, and then yep. you transitioned into into uh, taking additive, which was a supply chain case now, into optimizing these burners uh, uh, through the design freedom of additive manufacturing, and then expanded to now two hundred parts. Uh, qualified uh, by the end of the year and accelerating that to 600 parts by the end of 2025. Incredible story and uh, I think a perfect showcase on how additive manufacturing can not only make existing products better or improve existing supply chains, but also it can accelerate the innovation and development of uh, of future applications. And speaking of, of future applications, so we talked about gas turbines and how Gas turbines are a core technology for Siemens to transition into into a carbon-free future. What are some some other developments that we can accept for, expect from Siemens, and uh, how can additive manufacturing help to accelerate also those technologies and transitions? Yeah, so so when we talk about the uh, uh, the energy transition, it's going to happen step by step. Yeah, it's not going to happen overnight, and so. Um, Siemens Energy, we like to think about it in three different phases. There's the first phase of improving the uh, efficiency of the existing infrastructure. The second phase then would be the uh, transition away from conventional fuels to more hybrid systems. And then the third phase would be the phase of you know, deep decarbonization. Yeah. So when it comes to improving efficiency, we've kind of talked about it already. Uh, we can improve the efficiency of our gas turbine today through better cooling, better fuel mixing. Uh, we can enable uh, modernization of the existing fleet by changing out veins and giving the product better life and better performance into the future. So we kind of already touched on that, that first phase. As we talk about then the transition away from conventional fuels, the first step of that is going obviously from uh, coal to natural gas. Uh, that's one major step that we can accomplish. Mm -hmm. But then we can go from uh, natural gas to co-firing with hydrogen and then eventually 100% uh, firing with uh, hydrogen in the future. So our gas turbines today, uh, most of them can already co-fire with hydrogen and we expect by 2030 all of our gas turbines to be able to uh, fire with 100% hydrogen. Yeah, um, one one good example uh, of work that we're doing in this area is a project that we're involved in in a consortium today for an EU-funded project, 
and it is to really uh, look at uh, and create a demonstrator for the world's first integrated green hydrogen system. So here we're trying to take and decarbonize a paper factory in France by modernizing its current heat mm. and uh, power plant effectively. So taking renewable energy, using that renewable energy then to power a uh, electrolyzer uh, provided by Siemens Energy. And that electrolyzer will then separate hydrogen from water. That hydrogen can then go through a, compress a compression phase and then eventually can be stored for fuel. Yeah? And then that fuel can be used at a later date up to 100% into a modified Siemens Energy SGT400 gas turbine. Um, and then you can effectively produce green electricity that can be used to power the plant, can be used for heating, and then excess energy can be returned to the grid. So really great demonstration and case study that we're currently working on. And in order to uh, be able to operate on 100% hydrogen, you need advanced combustion systems there. Hydrogen burns differently from natural gas. So we need to look at that, how we uh, allow uh, different components to, uh, to, to enable that burning of hydrogen. Uh, and so within the advanced combustion system of the SGT400, uh, we have additively manufactured nozzles, additively manufactured burners, and additively manufactured swirlers within that advanced combustion system. And all of that enables uh, what we would then anticipate to be 65,000 tonne savings of carbon of CO2 uh, during the, a year of operation compared to a normal baseload operation of a, a standard SGT400. So again, just to give you a sense of uh, how uh, additive is affecting gas turbine technology today and leading through the different steps of the evolution towards deep decarbonization. Incredible project. And yeah, I'm, I'm almost speechless because this is exactly uh, what the, the types of technologies that we want to feature on Additive Snack to give people out there inspiration on the full impact of additive manufacturing that it can have on organizations and on technologies. And I think uh, Yuquan and the whole Siemens Energy team are a perfect example on using additive manufacturing to its fullest potential. So I want to thank you for inspiring us and for sharing all of your experiences and your vision with us today. And it's, yeah, it's great to be part of that journey. And I'm looking forward to continuing to follow the Siemens energy journey into additive manufacturing, but also, of course, into a carbon-free future. So thanks for being on Additive Snack. Awesome. Thanks, Fabian. Pleasure to be here. We just heard how Siemens is preparing for their transition into a carbon-free future. A significant part of this future is played by hydrogen. Sounds simple enough, but it's not. Hydrogen can be clean and hydrogen can be dirty. And who would be better to enlighten us than the largest gas company in the world, Linde? We asked Pierre Foray, head of additive manufacturing at Linde, to tell us more about that. Pierre, it's so great to have you on the show. Thanks for joining me today. Hi, Fabian. Thank you for having me. So let's, let's dive right in and talk about Linde. Most people have seen the Linde logo. I've seen it at airports many times. But I don't think a lot of people actually know much about Linda and your company. What does Linda do exactly? Well, Linda is the largest industrial gas company. Uh, we have a revenue of more than $30 billion uh, and more than 70,000 employees. So we are a quite large company. Uh, but as you said, we're a little bit in the background and not always well known. 
um, or business is to produce industrial gases and to distribute them. Um, you will find those molecules in almost every industry, from food to manufacturing to electronic to construction to the space industry. Um, some of the molecules we produce are air gases, which we produce by splitting the air into its constituents. So oxygen, nitrogen, and argon. Oxy oxygen is then used, for example, in healthcare or in the steel industry. Um, nitrogen and argon are used, for example, in additive manufacturing, either to produce metal powders or during printing as a shielding gas. And there are other molecules in our portfolio, like helium and uh, hydrogen. Okay, so Linde supplies already gases to the additive manufacturing industry. And I know that you are also, you have a role within Linde that evolves around additive manufacturing. What do you exactly do at Linde? So inside Linde R&D department, there is um, a team dedicated to additive manufacturing. And I'm responsible for, for this team. Um, the team and the labs are based in, um, in Munich. Um, and we have three main topics developing um, technologies for laser powder bed fusion, for binder jetting, and for powder production. Okay, okay, super interesting. And you, you mentioned hydrogen being one of the products that Linda is producing. And since we're talking about the future of energy, I'd be curious to understand what role does hydrogen actually play for Linda? So hydrogen has been part of our business for, for decades. Um, we generate today more than $2 billion revenue with hydrogen. Uh, we have worldwide more than 200 production sites. And, and we see clearly a growing demand for this molecule. Um, hydrogen is already used in, in many, many processes. For example, to produce metal parts or in the electronic or for mobility. Example of mobility, we have more than 2,000 refueling stations worldwide. Um, but moreover, the, the trend toward hydrogen is to use this energy source to decarbonize industries and also transportation. Um, so we produce hydrogen mostly through a process called steam methane reforming. What we do is we react steam, H2O, with natural gas, CH4. And the outcome is hydrogen and a small amount of CO2. And because of the small, small amount of CO2, uh, we call it gray hydrogen. Gray hydrogen. Are there other types of hydrogen as well with, with other colors? Yeah, so we use, we use colors to describe how the hydrogen has been produced. Um, and we can differentiate uh, between the different um, methods. So if you produce hydrogen from steam reforming, it's called gray. Uh, because you still have some, some CO2 uh, during the production. If you use this process, but capture and store uh, the CO2, it's called blue hydrogen. And finally, there is green hydrogen made by electrolysis, and which is fairly new, but also the, the most exciting way to produce hydrogen because it's CO2 neutral. Mm -hmm. Yeah, let's let's dive deeper into green hydrogen because that's also very interesting to uh, to us within this podcast, but also of course to our audience out there. How how is it produced in detail, uh, and why is it also so important to our energy future? And the last question is also 
why don't we have more of it today if we really know how to produce it? That's a very good question. Um, so green hydrogen is the term used to describe hydrogen which is produced through electrolysis of water. So electrolysis of water means you split water into its constituents, oxygen and hydrogen. And the energy to, to run the electrolysis must come from renewable energy sources. For example, wind energy, hydropower or solar energy. The issue behind green hydrogen and, and the reason why we don't have more of it is that the cost is high. So today, green hydrogen is at least two to three times more expensive than gray hydrogen. Plus, there are simply not enough um, electrolyzer worldwide. If I give you an example, Lind is building in Germany what will be the largest electrolyzer very soon. And it has a capacity of 24 megawatt. Megawatt, not gigawatt. So it's almost nothing. Um, but we are at the beginning of a journey. The next projects will be 100 megawatt, 200 megawatt. So if always bigger and bigger. That's why technology will play, maybe not today, but soon a bigger role, um, probably from 2030. Um, plus maybe something to point out is that for green hydrogen, you need renewable energy at a fair price. Because if you look at the cost structure, 40% of the price goes to the electricity made by renewable energy. So if the price goes down, then um, the cost for green hydrogen will also go down. And finally, I think something quite interesting is to see the dynamic worldwide. Uh, there are countries like Australia or India who really wants to, to be the key, the key players in, in the future with green hydrogen. So they want to produce renewable energy by sun or, or wind energy um, and then produce the green hydrogen and ship it um, to regions who need it like Europe or the US. Okay, that's that's really interesting. And you mentioned that we need to drop the price of, of green hydrogen by at least two to three X and uh, renewable energies are, are part of that. And we actually have some very interesting renewable energy companies also. Uh, on this mini-series of Additive Snack. What I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on, typically when new technologies are being developed today, additive manufacturing can play a significant role, or at least some role, to make products more efficient uh, or to also drive the innovation cycle and yeah, increase performance of certain applications. Can additive manufacturing also contribute to driving down the price of green hydrogen? Definitely. So the, the, the price structure of green hydrogen is, of course, a big part the electricity unit. Um, maybe we cannot solve that with additive, at least not at Linda. Um, mm -hmm. But we still need this equipment to be bigger, more efficient, more productive. And I believe that additive manufacturing can, can play a role, especially because we are at the beginning of a journey. The systems are small and need to be bigger. We need upscaling. So we can, of course, continue to design heat exchangers, connections, nozzle with traditional methods. But is there a better moment than now to look at using AM to produce better, smarter components? Um, so in all cases, we're not looking at decreasing weight, saving material. 
um, we are much more looking at making the components smarter and more efficient so that so that the equipment can work in a more productive way. I believe also there is um, a, a good future for additive in, in, in the spare part management for electrolysis plants. Uh, we had recently a great example in our engineering division. They had a part uh, which was failing from time to time, causing uh, downtime and, and, and costs. Um, the colleagues started by simply printing a copy of this part one-to-one -one, in order to produce it faster and, and have faster a spare part. But then they realized that by improving the design of this part, they could actually increase the lifetime. So it's really a win-win by using additive that you have all these little um, advantages that can add up and, and make your process stronger. Yeah, and we, we hear that more and more, especially in the current supply chain challenges that we, we experience everywhere, whether it's in North America, Europe, or in the Asia-Pacific region, where additive manufacturing can contribute significantly to, to keeping up time of, uh, yeah, of power plants and other energy, energy sources. And uh, yeah, this is also just the beginning of using additive manufacturing as a, a distributed and on-demand warehouse technology. I'd also be curious to talk even more about the performance increase that you mentioned. You talked about heat exchangers. You talked about uh, those types of applications. What attributes of additive manufacturing actually contribute to those performance increases? Very often it's about making a part smarter. So really not copying a design one-to-one. -one. Um, I rarely see the benefit of additive, um, except if you, if you don't have the tools or the molds for this part. It's really about thinking parts in a new and different way so that from the beginning, they, they are smarter and, and more efficient. And this is what we are looking um, into re related to, to electrolysis to really make components more efficient. It can be by having designs that are not possible without additive. It can be by combining different parts into one. Um, it's really about thinking differently and not with uh, the design rules of um, conventional manufacturing methods. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you know, heat exchangers, especially or any thermal management device here is is one application where, where additive manufacturing really shines through the complex geometries that can be achieved through increased surface uh, areas that uh, additive manufacturing allows us to produce and therefore having a better uh, heat rejection within within heat exchangers oftentimes three four x uh, at the at the same size so i could definitely see the impact that additive manufacturing can have on um, electrolysis, but also I'm guessing just in the end, the thermal management of, uh, of your, of your, uh, of your devices. So what is the, the impact that a green hydrogen product can play on other industries? We talked about energy, uh, but what about other industries that depend on, uh, this gas, but also could use your gas as a substitute for, for other current, maybe not so green gases. So with hydrogen, it's about decarbonization. Um, so hydrogen will not be the one solution to fight climate change. It's, it's part of a, a bigger solution. But you can really use this molecule um, to decarbonate 
your your process. Um, so what what will happen over the next year is that more and more industry will be able to use hydrogen in their process and will decarbonate. Uh, by that mean, uh, it will be a process about you know five, ten, fifteen years because some industries need to change a lot of things in order to to use hydrogen. Um, just to give you some examples, um, steel making. To produce steel, you emit today a lot of CO2. By using hydrogen, you can have decarbonization of your steel making process, but you need to change a lot of equipment in order to use hydrogen. So the first projects are ongoing, and in the next five to 10 years, we will see more and more green steel processes. Another example is the aviation. Um, I'm not sure that there are many solutions for planes to not emit CO2. It's difficult to imagine a plane with uh, huge batteries uh, to, um, to fly with electricity. Hydrogen is a solution. That's why recently Airbus has announced that they will launch a hydrogen plane um, in 2035. And at that time, they also announced a cooperation with Linda to provide a fueling station. Imagine there is a brand new logistic around hydrogen to bring hydrogen to the airports and from the airports to the planes. So those planes will not be flying over the Atlantic. Typically, it's more for regional flights, uh, maybe a bit more than 1,000 miles um, as a maximum. Um, but by using hydrogen, they will not emit any, any CO2. Finally, also the mobility. Uh, we see a lot of changes in, in mobility recently. Um, electric vehicles are very successful, are growing very fast, faster than hydrogen cars. But we see that the industrial mobility, so when it comes to trucks, buses, trains, ships, batteries have too many disadvantages. And that's where hydrogen can help. And that's the future that will happen, uh, a move from um, carbon sources to carbon-free sources like hydrogen. So the impact on steelmaking, aviation, and mobility is super interesting. And you mentioned that one of the main barriers of getting to more green hydrogen is cost. What are some other challenges and barriers that we have today in order to shift faster from gray hydrogen to green hydrogen? So it's a, it's a quite complex topic since it's not only that you need more hydrogen, more blue hydrogen, more green hydrogen, that you need more affordable, renewable energy to produce the green hydrogen. It's also that you need to change processes at the customers. Um, a steel maker cannot today simply stop using coal and start to use hydrogen. It really needs to change a lot of things. We talk about billion dollars of investment. The same as um, in the aviation, you cannot simply fill hydrogen into a normal plane. You need to rethink, redevelop completely a plane so that it flies with hydrogen. So it's, it's a lot of um, different parameters that need to improve over the next five to 10 years. We need to produce more hydrogen. It needs to be more affordable but you also need to change the end processes. That, make, that make, makes a lot of sense to me. And the end processes, hopefully, if you are listening out there and you are working in these 
uh, these industries. Also here, additive manufacturing can certainly uh, support these developments through lightweighting planes, for example, to also reduce the, the fuel consumption necessary to uh, to take an airplane off the ground uh, all the way into steel making and mobility where, where also this technology, amongst others, of course, uh, can have quite the impact. So, uh, Pierre, thank you so much for, for sharing your vision and your experience with us today. Super interesting show, and I cannot wait to see what else is coming out of Linde when it comes to additive manufacturing and, of course, carbon-free energy. Thank you, Fabian. Quan and Pierre painted a great picture on how already today additive manufacturing is impacting the transition towards clean energy. We heard from Quan how Siemens Energy is utilizing AM-created pieces to further enhance gas turbines and to continuously supplement other necessary energy equipment and how they are getting ready to transition to green fuels, such as hydrogen, to run their turbines. We also heard from Pierre on how Linda uses AM to release the full potential of hydrogen, helping to increase volume and reduce cost of green hydrogen. And there's so much more to come. This is just the beginning of AM's impact on these two companies. In episode 2, we'll take a deeper look into how AM is helping create a more sustainable future with the next frontier of clean energy. Join us for episode 2 and hear from the leading AM mines at the wind power giant Vestas. Vestas' largest blade has the length of a Boeing 737, and the additive strategy is equally large. On top of that, we'll also talk to a truly unique company making an impact in the energy industry via carbon capture and utilization, called ReCarbon. We'll discuss how their use of AM is changing the ways we look at creating energy. That was it for our first episode of The Future of Energy, powered by AM. If you have questions or comments about our podcast, or simply need help in your additive manufacturing project, or want to learn even more about the world of AM, visit our Additive Minds page at store.eos.info, or reach out to me directly at fabian.alefeld at eos-na.com. And if you don't want to miss any future episodes, simply subscribe to Additive Snack in the podcast app of your choice, if you haven't already. Until then, I'm Fabian Allerfeld. Thanks so much for listening, and please join us next time on Additive Snack. A special thanks for this episode goes out to all of our guests and to my co-producers, Kristen War, Shannon Bauch, as well as Dan Pasta. Thank you.